Good morning, everyone. Just going along with Joel's prayer, have you ever thought that uh, the last thing that Jesus prayed in front of his disciples um, after praying for himself and them, when he was praying for us, all those that would follow, that his prayer was that we would be one, as he and the Father are one. And uh, that looks like something. I don't know if it looks like exactly what we're, what we are, but I think that it's something good to um, keep in front of us. That his priorities would be our priorities. Um, so there, I could probably just sit down right now, but uh, that's not what I came to talk about. Um, so, uh, before I get into speaking, I'd like to make a few introductory comments um, so that you know what I'm doing, or I'm giving you the best chance to know what I'm doing. It's uh, those at my church, my wife especially, will tell you that that's a hard thing to, even when I'm done, to know what I tried to do. But uh, I'm going to be uh, uh, going through two passages today. If you'd like to turn to Mark chapter 1, verses 14 and 15. I'm going to start there. Um, basically, I would say that this is a hinge pin uh, verse passage uh, in the history of mankind, actually. Uh, and so we are going to uh, start there. I'm going to move to uh, the Sermon on the Mount. I'm not going to read the Sermon on the Mount. I'm going to assume that you know the flow of the Sermon on the Mount. If you don't, um, just try to follow along as best as you can. Um, but I would tell you this, you ought to know the um, flow of the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, you may have a good reason not to. Uh, this, this may all be new to you. Uh, but uh, when you leave here in the next coming days and weeks, uh, the Sermon on the Mount would be a good thing to understand uh, and to read and to actually live in. Uh, Third thing is that uh, I'm going to be talking big theme, narrative, story of God type of a thing right now that, that, that covers a lot in the sense that uh, e pretty much everything I, I say today, I could go off, and they wouldn't be a rabbit trail, but I could go off and I could talk about them for hours. And, and in, a, in a, my church home, in my uh, family, um, we basically have been talking about these things, the way that the kingdom of God falls out into to life for, for the last 15 years, and we're still learning how to live that. So these are big things I'm talking about. I, I plan on trying to bring them down enough to give you something to go home and to continue in, but um, if I uh, stop uh, somewhere short of that saying, hey, you could talk about that more, Trust me, I know I could talk about that more, but I'm going to try to stick to, to my notes so that, that I don't keep you till next week. Um, uh, and so, um, just be aware of that. Uh, so before I jump into this first passage, I just kind of want to make a point uh, that maybe is something that you've heard before, maybe it's not. Uh, I don't assume that anything that I'm saying here is new to you. Uh, it may be, but um, certainly it, it, it's not necessarily that it is new. But I want to make a point that kind of gives a framework for 
what I'm going to be talking about. Like I said, if it's new to you, if, if it doesn't, uh, if you, you think, man, I think I need to go check that out, by all means, that's what this is all about. I think that the, Paul talked about it was good to, the, the folks that are good, not the ones who are criticized immediately, but the ones that go home and study it out to find out if that's true. So I remember one time, uh, a long time ago, watching uh, somebody I know speak, and he basically said, and I'm not going to do this to you because I hate it when people do it to me, when he says, and when he starts asking you questions, and that is like, what is the main theme of Jesus uh, throughout his ministry? And then people start saying answers, and they're never right, right? That's why I hate it. You, you, you go, oh, it's this, and he goes, no. And so it's just embarrassing. So I'm not going to do that to you. But the answers that we threw out were things like uh, the cross and the resurrection and forgiveness of sins, uh, heaven when we die, that we can go to heaven when we die, that we're saved, uh, love. And, and basically, we, he wrote all these things on a board and, and then basically said, uh, none of those uh, are the main themes. They're not, they're not unimportant themes, and they are, and they are all uh, important, but they, they fall under a... a, a a greater umbrella, um, and that umbrella that Jesus spoke about, he lived, he talked about, he preached, those that followed him did the same thing, was the kingdom of God. Uh, it's about the king and his kingdom. The overarching narrative that is big enough to include everything that Jesus and the biblical writers said was the kingdom of God. It's not just a gospel that takes care of our death, but one that takes care of our life for today and in eternity, for eternity has come to us. If you read through the gospels, you'll see the kingdom of God everywhere. Uh, the kingdom of God, or in the Matthew's case, in the book of Matthew's, is called the kingdom of heaven. Just to make a clarifying point, uh, Matthew is writing primarily to the Jewish nation, uh, you don't use the word God to the Jewish nation. So if you read through the book of Matthew, you will hear him, see him that he says the kingdom of heavens. Or even more literal, the kingdom of the heavens um, of which God is, is king over. So um, you'll see it everywhere. And, and just kind of as a last point, I'm just, just to kind of throw this out there again. If this is the first time you've heard this, please go, go. Go read all your Gospels. That, if, if you need a reason to go read your Gospels, go read your Gospels. But even all the way through the book of Acts, the, the last verse in the book of Acts, uh, it's speaking of Paul, it says, Then Paul dwelt two whole years in his, rented, in his own rented house and received all who came to him, preaching the kingdom of God and teaching the things which concern the Lord Jesus Christ with all confidence and no one forbidding him. <clears throat> so, Having said that, let's move to Mark chapter 1, verses 14 and 15, where it says this. It says, Now, after John was put in prison, Jesus came to Galilee, preaching the gospel of the kingdom of God, and saying, The time is fulfilled, and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. My plan today is to look at this verse for a bit, to unpack it, uh, I want us to see just what Jesus is saying about the kingdom and to maybe put a definition to, you, to it so that we can understand what he's getting at. Again, kingdom is one of those Bible words that we kind of use in church, but we don't really use outside of church. Um, and so we tend to uh, 
not inserted into our lives. I then will turn to the Sermon on the Mount and take a few minutes to talk about what it looks like to live in the kingdom of God and to end with a few suggestions on how to live in the kingdom. So that's my roadmap, so to speak. What is the kingdom of God? What does it look like to live in the kingdom of God? And how do I live in the kingdom of God? If I can do that all in the next half hour, we're doing good. So, uh, going to the verse. So Jesus came preaching the the gospel of the kingdom of God. The good news of the kingdom of God. Just what is the good news of the kingdom of God? Well, the good news about the kingdom of God was that A, the time was fulfilled, and B, the kingdom of God was at hand. Then he finishes by saying, uh, which is actually speaking to our response to this good news, is that basically in light of this good news, uh, a, a proper response would be to repent and to believe in that good news, that the time was fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. So let's start with the statement that Jesus came to Galilee preaching the gospel of the kingdom of God. We know that gospel means good news, and the good news part of this statement is in the last part of the sentence, and we'll be there in a second. But first, what exactly is the kingdom of God? I don't know. Have you ever thought of that? (laughs) Have you ever processed that? Um, In it, like so many other words and phrases we, uh, we use, are really good biblical church words, which means something that we know is really important, yet we don't really know what it is. We use them in church and Bible studies, but not so much in our ordinary lives. So we don't really understand what it means or how it fits into our day-to-day. And so we end up with our church life over here and what we would call our real life over there. And we struggle at times trying to make sense of the two. And, we, and, and because it's a struggle, we tend to, uh, if we can't figure that out or work that out, we tend to go, okay, that's, we, we'll just kind of like leave this over here and leave this over here because I don't know how that fits. And so that's why it's important to flesh these out And at least for me, what helps is to find other words that that help me understand what those words really mean. Uh, I mean, when was the last time you were sitting in Starbucks with someone and they said, hey, don't you just love the kingdom of God? I just enjoy the benefits and the relevance of it in my day-to-day life. It just made so much difference in in my my, uh, uh, time at work today, right? Uh, me neither. I, you know, I, and I know that as I use that as an example, somebody's going to go, excuse me, I just had that conversation this morning. Uh, but uh, I, I generally don't. Um, so, what is the kingdom of God? A kind of a definition, uh, a dictionary definition. Uh, is, if you look, it's one of the definitions, rule or reign. Rule or reign. Well, I guess that helps a little bit, but that's still... At least for me, that doesn't help me a lot. Okay, so the kingdom of God is the rule or reign of God. Great. Uh, so if you, if you begin to, to unpack a little bit more, I heard another definition is uh, the kingdom is someone's range of effective will. Um, basically, and again, I have to stop and I have to, okay, what does that mean? And so the range of your effective will is where your will has an effect, where 
uh, you have the authority to act out what you want, and it's carried out. So, for instance, a king could say, um, and again, it's, we have to go there because we don't live in, with a king, but in our understanding, a king could say, you know what? I'm feeling like a good guy today, so tomorrow is going to be a holiday. All businesses will be closed, and everybody's going to uh, have a party. And so, and so it, because he said it, it would happen, right? So his will, what he wanted done, would, would uh, um, take place because he had the authority to, uh, to uh, make that happen, make it e effective. If you were a mom, your range of effective will might be, we're having meatloaf for dinner tonight. And your kids go, but I don't like meatloaf. We're having meatloaf for dinner tonight. And so that is your range of effective will. And we all have, uh, I have a kingdom, you have a kingdom, you have a queendom, but we all have a, a, a range of our effective will where, where what we say and what we want done is done. Um, some may be, uh, the range might be bigger, some might be smaller. Um, or another way of putting it is where what you want done is done. And this is what's really, this is the statement that's really helped me. So a lot of times when I read kingdom, I, I, I read kingdom and then I read rule and reign and range of effective will. And I usually, usually land on where what you want done is done. So the kingdom of God is where what he wants done is done. So for instance, when Jesus prayed and he taught us to pray, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That's all he's saying. It's, he's just re, reiterating your kingdom come. What that looks like is that your will would be done on earth as it is in heaven because we know in heaven where God wants, what God wants done is done. There is nothing that God going on in heaven right now that, that uh, uh, God wants done that's not being done. Earth seems to be the only place where there are things that are going on that are not part of God's will. But that is what our prayer is. And so when we pray, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as in heaven, we are actually asking God to, to, to bring his present activity into, to bear on the world in which we live in. And we may pray for what's going on in Washington, D.C. or in other countries, but Really, it's our day-to-day, -day. so when we pray that, we are saying, as I go to work today, would you bring your effective will into my workplace? And, and, and as we're doing that, we're also putting ourselves in the position of saying, and I, will, uh, I am there to cooperate and co-labor with you as you do that. I'm not a passive uh, observer of what's going on. I'm saying, let us go do, live life today Wherever I am and what, whatever I'm doing, if I'm going to school or I'm at home or I'm at work or I'm going to the store, that, that wh where, what you want done is done. So when I go to San Francisco and I'm walking home and I notice somebody who, is, who needs uh, something, God, what you want done is you don't want that person to be hungry. Uh, and, I ha and, and certainly I don't have the, the resources to do everything, but you do. And I certainly have the resources right here in my hand to take care of this one. So I will, so I will do that. I am put, and if I don't do that, again, God, God knows what's going on, and he uses those experiences 
to even grow us more in learning how to live in his kingdom. But, um, okay, so I've, I've already left my notes. So I've just, I've just kind of blown that right out of, uh, that was all just. So, uh, so I'm going to jump back in here. Uh, now, the good news of, kingdom, of God's kingdom, his rule and reign, where what he wants done is done, that Jesus was proclaiming was just this, that first, the, the time had come. It had been fulfilled. Okay, so again, looking at, you know, there's many words that we have, like, one word for, really, other languages have more than one word for, like, the word for love. We know that there's a number of Greek words for love. Like, we, we go, hey, I love my wife, and I, and I love tacos. You know, and somebody from another culture go, well, what? I don't get that. Uh, you want to eat your wife or you want to get married to your tacos or whatever. And so, um, so there's a, um, there's a, a in this, this word time, there's a couple of, of words. Again, I'm not a Greek scholar, but, but I'm not here to teach Greek. But basically there's chronos, which is chronological time, which is, well, it's like 1108 right now. And, or today's Sunday or uh, I'm going to work tomorrow at 8 o'clock in the morning. Chronos, chron- just normal everyday time. But there's also another word that's called kairos uh, that's translated time. And kairos is like an event time, like a wedding. Yeah, I'm getting married next Sunday at 2 o'clock in the afternoon. It's going to be great. Or it's my birthday. Uh, It's not my birthday. But if it was my birthday, I would would want everybody here to know that it's my birthday. uh, Or it's it's an event day. Uh, it's It's a big deal. So the it's... This is talking about a kairos time, an event time. So uh, that the kairos had come, it had been fulfilled. And this time that had come and had been fulfilled, that was this kairos time, an event time, a time that they had been waiting for for a long chronological time. Uh, The nation of Israel had been waiting all their history and had been foretold that the event of the ages uh, had arrived. All the preliminaries had been fulfilled, and it was time. It was here. Everything that they had been waiting for was here. Um, Now, to his first audience, what they were waiting for was, in the kingdom of God coming, was this coming of this Messiah to rid the world of all evil and usher in the age to come, where the resurrection would occur and all Israel would live in a world under God's reign, with all evil removed, where only what God wanted done was done, uh, talked about in a myriad of ways throughout scriptures, where the, where the knowledge of God covered the earth as, as the waters cover the sea, where everything, God is in everything, and everything is in God, and that is what they were waiting for. There would be no evil, and God's kingdom, God's government, his economy would reign forever and ever. The world where what he wanted done would be done. This is what was coming, and this is what they were waiting for, uh, and this is what they were hearing him say when he said, this is the good news of the, the gospel. The gospel of the kingdom of God is that the time has come. It's been fulfilled. Um, and secondly, it was at hand. The, all the preliminaries have been taken care of. You've been waiting for all these prophecies to be taken care of. They've all, it's all been done, and it's at hand. It means you can reach out and you can touch it, and it can reach out and it can touch you. 
A new day was here. A new age was here. Not the new age. A new age. God's new age. A new government was here. One that you and all of your ancestors had looked for for so long was here. And it was not only here, it was available to all. It was accessible to all. All being you. The people he was talking to. A new life where living the way that God had created us to live was now opened up to everyone. A life of goodness lived in cooperation with God himself, the king and his kingdom. Next, they were told that a proper response to that, hearing that news, was A, to repent. Another church word that we need to look at. Um, It's not, at least in my upbringing in the church, uh, to repent. When somebody said you need to repent, they, they meant you need to realize you're wrong and you need to say you're sorry. Um, that's not repentance. That's confession. Uh, tears are not repentance. Now, confession, saying you're sorry, crying may be a natural outcome of repentance, but they are not repentance. Uh, repentance means rather to change your mind. It's just, it's just change your mind. Jesus is saying, you've been living a certain way, I'm, just, I'm letting you know that the kingdom of heaven is here now and it's available to you and it's accessible to you. You need to change your way of thinking about how things are because things are different. Um, change your minds. Change your thinking. The, the word, again, I think this is the last Greek word I'm going to use. Metanoia. Uh, meta, change your mind. Met, like Metamorphosis is, is you change shape. Meta is changing Noia is your knowledge. Change knowledge, change your thinking. Or better understood as this. In the light of this good news, rethink your thinking about what life is and what it is about. And come and learn how to live in the ways of the kingdom. This economy, this world where goodness abounds, it begins in the changing of our thinking to line up with God's way of thinking. Um... So, and then to not only repent, but believe. Uh, as your mind is changed, so are your beliefs. Belief is not just an eternal thing. I used to always think that repentance was the external thing, right? We repent, we come forward, we repent, and then I believe what I believe is on the inside. It's more actually the, the other way around. The repentance, the changing of the mind is more of the internal thing. And yes, believe is, you believe what you believe, but you tell what you believe by what, what you do. You be, to believe something is to act as if something's true. You know what you believe to what extent you believe when push comes to shove. I love you, honey. I'll never do anything you know, bad to you. I'm always here for you. Watch out, there's a car coming. I run, you run out, you throw your wife in front of the car because and she, I thought... Well, I thought I, I loved you more than anything else, but uh, I guess tacos are up there, too. Um, but to believe means to act as if something is true. We know that we really believe when push comes to shove. This, there's, again, I even wrote this in here. There's more I would love to say on this, but I'm not going to. Uh, we've talked a bit about what the kingdom of God is, the rule of reign, God's action, where he, what he wants to be have done is done. Now let's move to what the kingdom of God looks like. Um, so, 
In the, now we're moving to the Sermon on the Mount. If you want to turn there, go ahead. I'm not going to really read out of there. I'm going to quote from, from there. I'm going to talk about what he's saying. And, and again, my assumption is that you have some working knowledge of the Sermon on the Mount, so it will not be something strange to you. But please go back and uh, read the Sermon on the Mount in the light of this. What, read the Sermon on the Mount as a picture of what living and life in the kingdom of God looks like. Um, Sermon on the Mount uh, in Matthew chapter 5 through 7, along with the, what we would call actually the Sermon on the Plain uh, is in the book of Luke. It's not the exact same. T- if you ever heard of it, I mean, you go, well, it's, it's not exactly the same. Well, that's because Jesus went to different places and he kind of gave the same message. I mean, it's not like every separate place he gave a completely different message talking about completely th- different topics. He's giving this good news of the kingdom of God wherever he goes, and his words aren't always exactly the same. So in Matthew, he's talking about a particular sermon, and in in Luke, he's talking about a a different place, but he's basically giving the same ideas. Luke is a lot more raw than uh, um, Matthew. Matthew's a lot bigger. He explains more. Luke, he's just saying, he doesn't say, blessed are the poor in spirit. He just says, blessed are the poor. I'm not going to give you the opportunity to spiritualize it like it's something, something good. Oh, we want to be poor in spirit. He says, no, blessed are the poor. And, he's, and he points out, uh, um, let me tell you what he points out, because I'm going to need to get back into my notes here. Um, so the sermon is a well-thought-through sermon moving and building along the lines of showing what life is like in the kingdom of God. It's not a new set of laws, uh, which we can tend to think, oh, great. Um, Now, it used to be, I only had to worry about not murdering people. Now I have to worry about not even being angry at people. Thanks a lot, Jesus. I I, I was having trouble with the murder thing. Uh, I didn't really have trouble with that, but now I'm going to have trouble with this. So it's not, but it's not a new set of laws, nor is it a string of pithy sayings that we just kind of pick out and go, oh, yeah. Love your neighbors as yourself. Um, it's, it's a, there's a flow to it. There's a, there's a, a meaning to it. He, he lays certain things down and he builds upon those. Um, what we have come to call the Sermon on the Mount is a concise statement of Jesus' teaching on how to actually live in the reality of God's present kingdom, which is available to us from the very life that we live right now here today. It concludes with a statement that all who hear and do what he says will have a life that can stand up to anything. That is, a life for eternity, because it is already in the eternal. The eternal has come to us in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Jesus deals with the two major issues that humanity always faces. First, there is the question of which life is the good life? Who is really well off? Am I really am I well off? The Beatitudes answer these questions. Who is blessed? The second question Jesus deals with in the sermon concerns who is really a truly good person. What does it look like to be a good person? We talk, um, who has the kind of goodness found in God himself, constituting the family likeness between God and his children, and what that looks like in real life? And that's pretty much the rest of the the sermon where there's, there's an illustration of what that looks like in uh, people's life. 
So the first part is the Beatitudes. Who has a good life? First, I want to take a moment and look at these Beatitudes and how they inform us that it is the person who has the kingdom of heaven or is in the kingdom of heaven in a dynamic, interactive relationship with the king himself. That is the person who has the good life. That is the person who is well off. That is the person who is blessed. The key to understanding the Beatitudes is that they serve to clarify Jesus' fundamental message. And that is the free availability of God's rule and righteousness to all of humanity through reliance upon Jesus himself. Let me repeat that. The free, this is his fundamental message, the free availability of God's rule and righteousness to all of humanity through reliance upon Jesus himself. They do this simply by taking those who, from the human point of view, are regarded as most hopeless, most beyond all possibility of God's blessing or even his interest, and exhibiting them as enjoying God's touch and abundant provision from the heavens. So he says, for instance, blessed are the poor, or blessed are the poor in spirit. Why? For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. He does not say blessed are the poor because they are poor, or he, nor does he say uh, uh, the reward of being poor is that you have the uh, kingdom of heaven, because you can be poor and not have the kingdom of heaven. He says, uh, but rather, blessed are the poor because they have the kingdom of heaven. Again, and the people that he is speaking this to are people who are poor, people who are, are, whose circumstances say everything to them that they are not blessed. Because we all know if you've got money, you're blessed. If you're poor, you're cursed. You and I might not use that word cursed, but in the back of our mind, we go, you're not well off. Uh, and, and Jesus is not saying, no, no, you're really well off. Get rid of all your money and just be poor because there's, there's this blessing in being poor. He is not saying that. He, what he is saying, and he's not saying that the reward of being poor is that you have heaven. He's saying the reward, the, the blessedness comes in the good news. And the good news is that, that it is now available to you who are poor. You don't have to become like the Because to, to them, the Pharisees were the ones who were blessed. We need, I need to become like this, and then God will love me. And, and Jesus is saying, no, you don't have to become like anything for God to love you. And, and not only is that, but it's, it's real, and it, you can reach out and you can touch it right now, no matter what conditions you're in, no matter what circumstances you're in. The blessing is because of what they have, and what they have is access to the kingdom of heaven, God's rule and reign in their life now, where what he wants done in their life is done. His goodness in their life now, no matter what their circumstances look like, they are blessed because they can have God and his action in their life right now. And when they die, and forever, but right now in, in their life, in the middle of the circumstances that they find themselves in. And this is good news. The assumption of that day, as is also true of today, whether directly or indirectly, is that our well-being and even our relationship with God is connected to our circumstances. Even though our theology says no, we, we, our belief system shows how much we really do or don't believe that. Uh, if we have money in the bank, we have God's blessing. If we're poor and homeless, we're cursed. Jesus takes these assumptions and turns them on their head. 
the good life, the blessed life of the kingdom does not come because you are a certain way. Or does it not come because you're a certain way? It comes to all regardless and in spite of the way they are. No matter what your circumstances are, no one is beyond the attitude. The reality of God's care and provision proves to all that no human condition excludes blessedness, that God may come to any person with his care and deliverance. God does sometimes even help those who cannot or perhaps just do not help themselves. So much for another saying, right? And if you have not figured that out in your own life, then you have not met God. Um... The religious system of his day left the multitudes out, but Jesus welcomed them all into his kingdom. Anyone could come as well as any other. They still can. And this is the good news of the Beatitudes. And perhaps you needed to hear that today, that whatever circumstances you are in, the blessings are not in the circumstances. The blessings are in having God in your life with all that comes with that. The first order of business was to convince his audience that the good news about the kingdom of God was indeed good news for everybody, including them. This is the goal of the Beatitudes. Is it true that earth has no sorrow that heaven cannot heal? Yes, it's true. That is precisely the gospel of heaven's availability that comes to us through the Beatitudes, and you don't have to wait until you're dead. Jesus offers to all such people as these that are present as his sermon and to you and to me the, blessed, the present blessedness of the kingdom that is present. It is present right now. It's coming in its fullness, but with the resurrection of Jesus, the, the kingdom of God was inaugurated. It was, it was brought to earth in Jesus and sent out into this world with his resurrection. The condition of life sought for by human beings through the ages is attained in the quiet, transforming friendship of Jesus. Second part of the sermon, and this is really the bulk of the sermon, uh, is, uh, deals with who is a good person. When Jesus deals with moral evil and goodness, he does not begin by theorizing. He plunges immediately into the guts of human existence. Raging anger, contempt, hatred, obsessive lust, divorce, verbal manipulation, revenge, slapping, suing, cursing, coercing, and begging. It is the stuff of soap operas and the daily news and real life. He takes this concrete approach because his aim is to enable people to be good not just to talk about it. He actually knows how to enable people to be good, and he brings his knowledge to bear upon life as it really is, not some intellectualized and sanctified version thereof. He knows that people deeply hunger to be good, but cannot find the way. Few, if any, wish to do evil for its own sake. We just find it unfortunately necessary sometimes. We want to be good, but our position to do evil, and we come prepared with lengthy justifications. A little girl in Sunday school expressed this human ambiguity well when she was asked what a lie was. She replied, a lie is an abomination to God. 
and a very present help in time of trouble. <laughs> the story of my life. So he begins in, uh, uh, in Matthew 5.20 with a statement saying this. He says, for I say to you, again, this should be somewhat familiar, for I say to you that unless your righteousness exceeds the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, you will by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. This is followed by a number of sayings that start off with a you have said, heard it said, uh, but then he says, but I say to you, and he, and he gives an illustration of what it's like to live in the, life, in the kingdom of God. These give illustrations of the righteousness or right, rightness or goodness that is lived out in the life of one who is living in the kingdom and from the kingdom, because it's not a matter of just us living in the kingdom. It's about the kingdom coming and changing us into kingdom people so that we live from the source, right? That's why we abide in Christ. We, we, it's not about us on our own. There's a, there's a kingdom life that comes where the king comes and lives within us, right? Jesus, again, in his last, before he prays that prayer in 17, in his farewell discourse, says, hey, if you do, if, you lo- do, if my words remain in you, my father will love you, and he and I will come, and we will make our home in you. And in that same passage, he's talking about, and talking about sending the Holy Spirit, he says, and you know him because he's been with you, but he will be in you. And so we, he lives within us, uh, and we draw our life from him, we abide in him, and we bear good fruit, right? So, so it's not a matter of just us, I've got to live in the kingdom, it's I need to do it in the right way, the way that Jesus did. Um, so the righteousness of the... Uh, scribes and Pharisees was a certain kind of righteousness. It was not a, there are worse righteousnesses than theirs. There are, there's people that are right, think that they're righteous and they're out going out killing people, uh, of which the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees was above that righteousness, uh, but it was not the righteousness of the kingdom. It was focused on external keeping of the law and not on the transformed person on the inside. So their righteousness, basically, at the, end of the day, at the end of the day, was, I haven't done anything wrong, I haven't broken any laws, so it's been a good day. Instead of, I was out, and I was a good person, and I was doing the things of the kingdom in this world, uh, and that's the, it's a different way of thinking. This is rethink your thinking. Is I, I have to do, not do the wrong things, uh, and so I, I end up... Old, doing the right things only because I don't want to do the wrong things, as opposed to saying, I'm going to follow Jesus into this life, and I want to learn how to live this life, and I just want to, I want to, be, I want to be like Jesus, and I want to do the things that Jesus did. Um, so Jesus is telling us that a life that is lived in the kingdom and changed by the kingdom will produce slowly but surely a life that's transformed into the very image of Jesus himself, where the kingdom is embodied in who we are as we begin to become good per- people. I, you, don't, you can't just, that's right, Doug, I'm going to become a good person. Tomorrow, starting on Monday, I'm going to be a good person. Your will does not have the ability to do that. It needs your will. You need your will to move in that direction, but you, it's, it's a process. It's a slow process of daily turning to Christ and let him grow in you, mature in you, 
Uh, and, but you do. We, we become good people, and that's his plan. That's his idea. We don't worry about doing the wrong thing because we naturally wouldn't. But rather, our orientation, since we have become a good person, is to continually, continually do only good. We live God's life doing God's things in God's way. It is not a bad description of somebody is that they went about doing good things. If you remember Peter's uh, and Cornelius in Acts chapter 10, uh, and, and Peter's description of Jesus was, you know about Jesus. He went about doing good. That's not a, that's not a bad thing. That's a, that's a good thing. But we live God's life doing God's things in God's way. This is what Jesus did and what his followers learned to do as well. Just to take the first thing as an example, because again, we're not going to go through the whole sermon, uh, uh, but he says, You have heard that it was said to those of old, You shall not murder, and whoever murders will be in danger of the judgment. But I say to you that whoever is angry with his brother without a cause shall be in danger of judgment. And then Jesus actually gives a, a big teaching about this, and then he kind of takes the other ones, just kind of he kind of gives them in little capsules that also could be broken out this way. But basically, he goes from anger moving to contempt and hatred as the roots from which murder comes from. Those things are not part of the life of the kingdom. Now, this, not make, this may not make sense to us, for many of us have found that our anger actually sometimes is good and is helpful. Um, what about righteous indignation? Well, guess what? I've never seen any indignation that was not righteous. Anger is never listed in any fruit of the kingdom life, only as character traits of those who are told, we are told do not enter the kingdom of heaven. Paul tells us to lay it aside, to get rid of it. Again, I would really like to address this more because this is a huge issue. And I think Jesus addresses anger first because anger is our greatest, is our, the greatest issue in mankind. I mean, think, if for one day in this world, all actions that arose from any kind of anger or contempt or hatred of one another were to disappear from the face of the earth for one day, there would be nothing to watch on the news. There would, the, world, the world as we know it would come to a halt. It's huge. Um, so there's a lot we could say, and, the, and it's a process to get rid of that. But the first thing to do is to begin to even think that we ought to be able to get, we, we can and we ought to get rid of it. I would just say, I would just end with this, with this, this portion of, I would just say that there's nothing that you can do with anger that you can't do better without it. And to move to that place, we need to begin to rethink our thinking about letting go of anger and begin to believe that this is really the best way for us to live. Is that really the best way? And, that's a, and again, it's not about being told that that's the best way. It's about coming to grips with it experientially and for in your own mind to begin to believe that that really is what I want as opposed to just being told you need to stop that. Because we're not going to change if we still kind of think it's a good thing. He then moves to a more positive, uh, a couple positive illustrations of the kingdom heart. Um, he, he throws in a therefore, uh, and he moves to two positive illustrations of the kingdom heart. 
of which we will just look at the first. Uh, it's the picture of someone, if you remember, he's going about a sacred scene. He's on his way to the temple. He remembers the uh, brother has something against him. He leaves his gift and he goes and, be, and is reconciled before coming and get offering his offering to God. Uh, it's a picture of someone going about a sacred scene. We have to imagine ourselves in this day, uh, not just going to church, but imagine yourself getting married on your wedding day or baptized, or ordained or to some special role, and in the middle of that proceeding, while you're standing there waiting for her to come down the aisle, we leave and we walk out to seek reconciliation with someone who is not even there. That's the picture that he's, he's putting, giving to them. That is a picture of the kingdom love that is kingdom rightness. Now, just think of what the quality of life and character must be in a person who would routinely interrupt sacred rituals to pursue reconciliation with a fellow human being. What kind of thought life? What feeling, tones, and moods? What habits of body and mind? What kinds of deliberations and choices would you find in such a person? Well, when you have the answer to that, you will have a vision of the true rightness from beyond that is at home in God's kingdom of power and love. The aim of his illustration, and it is an illustration, this is not a law, this is not a new rule for you, but it's an illustration of what somebody would want, who is a good person, would want to do. And so that that's why they would do that. And so the, the aim of it is to bring us to terms with what is in our hearts and simultaneously to show us the rightness of life in the kingdom. His teachings illustrate how those alive in the kingdom can live through the days and hours of their ordinary existence on their way to the full world of God. Speaking of the living in the full world of God, last point. Whew, Doug, thank you. And that is, what can I do to live in that, right? The aim of the sermon, forcefully indicated by its concluding chap verses in chapter 7 at the very end, is to help people come to a hopeful and realistic terms with their life here on earth by clarifying in concrete terms the nature of the kingdom into which they are now invited by Jesus' call to repent. For life in the kingdom of heavens is now one of your options. You can actually do this. Jesus concludes the Sermon on the Mount with the wise instructions on how to actually put into practice and enter into the kingdom of God. He says starting in Matthew 7, 24. Therefore, whoever hears these sayings of mine and does them, I will liken him to a wise man who built his house on a rock. And the rain descended, the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house, and it did not fall, for it was founded on the rock. But everyone who hears these sayings of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who builds his house on the sand, and the rain descended, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house, and it fell. And great was its fall. Do you know why, the, why great was its fall? It's because the person thought that everything was good. And so it's one thing, if you're homeless and something bad happens to you, you're going, that's life. But when, you're, when you think things are good, I got everything wrapped up. I've got my retirements all taken care of. Kids are all taken care of. I got my uh, destiny for eternity. I'll take, everything's good. I'm, I'm, and then all of a sudden have it taken away from you and have it gone, you're devastated. 
and great was the fall. And so it was, it just just finishes by saying, and so it was when Jesus had ended these sayings that the people were astonished at his teachings. These people were like, for he taught them as one having authority, not as the scribes. One having authority meaning one who knew what he was talking about. He had experiential knowledge. This was not somebody who was just uh, reading out of a textbook. This was somebody who was actually living this himself. He had no house. He had no home. He, had no, he, he, had, he didn't have a lot of what his, a lot of his circumstances, we would say, are not good circumstances. He was homeless, for instance. But yet Jesus was walking around in a pla- living from a place of, I'm well off, I am, there's, I'm, every, it is well with my soul. And I would not have it any other way. And I, I live in the kingdom, and I draw from the kingdom's resources, and, and not only do I live it myself, but I demonstrate it, and I proclaim it. So, what do we do to live in the kingdom? I'll just give three things. Uh, each one of these things could be a, a series um, make, maybe Jacob will say, hey, I'll do that. Or maybe he'll say, Doug, come back for the next four years and teach on these things. Uh, number one, take what he says and begin to put him into practice. Just what it says here. Just do what he says. Uh, the, and the reality of the kingdom is that God will come and meet you there. Again, you and I are not alone in this endeavor. God says, come into my kingdom and join me And as you do these things, I will meet you there. As you put things into practice, go, well, it says I'm supposed to love my enemy. Uh, I don't know about that. That doesn't, everything I've learned up to this point tells me that I'm going to get stabbed in the back if I do that. But Jesus says I should do it, so I'll give it a shot. And and go and and do it and put it into practice, uh, and you will find that you are not alone, that God will meet you, and he'll, he'll take stuff, and he'll, he'll take stuff in, out of your daily experience as you're reading his word and, and trying to figure out how that it fits in your, to your life, and you try them out. You, you may come back saying, I didn't give my meal to that person. That might be the, what you come back at the end of the day, is, but because your mind and your orientation is trying to move in that direction, God will come in and he'll be the one that brings that up. And you go, I didn't do it. And, and he doesn't bring that up to say, so you're, uh, you're screwed. I'm going I'm to get you for that. He brings that up to show you what is actually in your heart, what you actually believe. What, again, belief is not, I'm getting, I'm getting back into belief now. Uh, I used to think that you either believed or you didn't believe. But the reality is, is there's degrees of belief. And, and we tend to think that we believe more than what we really believe until we get into situations that show that we don't. Right? That's Peter. I'm going away? No, I'll even die for you. Peter, actually, I'm going to be the one that's dying. No, I'll do it. And again, we can laugh at old, poor old Peter, but the reality is they went into the, to the garden, and then he picked up a sword and chopped the guy's ear off. I mean, he was pretty... He meant it when he said that. I mean, I mean, you're going against an army, and you and you've got one sword and a bunch of guys and like twelve guys, and you chop a guy's ear off. You're saying, "Come and kill me," uh, but of course he doesn't get killed. And then shortly thereafter, he he denies him, right? And so, and at the end of the story, we have Jesus. We call it restoring Peter, but he's not restoring. He he. It didn't take Jesus by surprise. But he wanted Peter, you know, Peter at the end, he says, do you love me? 
Yeah, you know I, you know I like you. No, do you lo- agape love me? No, you know I love and, 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 and basically, there's this restoration of Peter, but basically he's saying, Peter, you thought you were a 10. I just, you just need to know that you're a 7. You're not a 0, but you're a 7. And because if you think you're a 10, you're not going to try, you're not, you're, you think you're there. Peter, you're not there. But you, Peter eventually goes on and he dies, right, for Jesus, as far as we know. So there's this sense of putting into practice. God meets us. We find out when we're, where we're not quite matching up, not to get swatted down, but to be encouraged. Okay, God, I, I, I'm not as good as I thought I was, but I want to be. Jesus goes, that's good. Then let's do this. So, which leads into the second thing, which is, ba- which is another way of saying follow Jesus. How do I live in the kingdom of God? Follow Jesus. I would say follow his words, which is, which is really what I just said, to, to take what he says and put them into practice, expecting to be met by him in them, but also follow his ways. If you want to become like Jesus, which I hope that's what you guys want to be, that's what I want to become like. That's why I signed up, because I, I want to become like Jesus. And he says, you can. And if you want to do that, you need to follow you need to do things in the way that he did them. And that doesn't mean just be nice to people. That means, what did he do? He spent all night sometimes, as was his custom, we're told in the book of Luke, all night in prayer with his father. Do I spend my day in a conversational relationship with the, with the father? I don't even know what that means, Doug. How does that look like? Well, you need to start trying, moving and learning and finding out that God will be with you throughout the day. So there's a following his ways, and I would also say follow his works. Do the things that Jesus did. And you may fail, but it's not, that's, that's not what it's all about. It's about following Jesus into life. So it's, it might be feeding somebody that's hungry. It might be seeing that person on the bench by themselves, eating all alone, that you go over and you, and you sit down with, because there's a reason for that. It might be knowing somebody is sick, so you pray that they would actually be healed. Does God even do that? To yeah, he does. And so it's, but it's, it's, he, he doesn't do it if we sit back. He doesn't feed that person. God sometimes takes care of stuff. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not saying it's all on us, but trust me, people... There are not as many people to get fed these days if we don't feed them. There are not that many people who are befriended if we don't befriend them. There are not that people, many people who are healed who, who uh, might be healed um, if we would not just step out and try to put into practice the things that he tells us to, to do, everything that he's commanded us. The works that I've done, you're going to do more. You're going to do greater. Follow Jesus. Third thing, we say, seek ye first the kingdom of God, right? We can sing, I, I'd sing the song, except you would all run for the door. <laughs> seek ye first the kingdom of, of God and his righteousness and his goodness, his rightness. What does that look like? Well, what does it mean? Again, see that to me, I need help. I need, what does that look like? What does it mean to seek the kingdom of God? Going back to what we've just talked about and even what does it mean to seek it? How do I do that? Well, think of when your car keys are missing. 
How do you seek your car keys? You look for them everywhere, two and three times, and you send your family out looking for them. My wife, whenever she couldn't find her car keys, we have seven children. When uh, she couldn't find her car keys, she was a lot of things she couldn't find. Uh, but there was a, the, when she was missing something like the car keys, she, and we, she needed to get somewhere, the thing was, first of all, she'd say, hey, everybody help me. And everybody's like, mm. And she goes, okay, a dollar to the first person who finds the keys. <laughs> found them. They always found them really quick. And so, it was, because it was important. There was, a, there was an importance to it, right? The kids began to look because there was an importance to it. I believe that we don't seek the kingdom because it, we don't, it's not as important that we believe that it is in our lives. And I'm speaking for myself there. So you look everywhere. You don't stop uh, until you find it. What are we looking for? The kingdom of God and his rightness. His activity in my life. What is the kingdom of God? The range of his e- effective will, where what he wants done is done. I go to work, and I look for his activity, for his goodness, and I join him when and where I recognize it. Uh, and I see if it is what it is cracked up to be. I learn to find out, is it what Jesus said? Because as I do, I learn to trust him more. I learn to believe him more. And I learn from experiencing it to trust him. I learn that what he says is good and right and the way for me to live my life. And I lean more and more into it. And the more I experience it, the more I come to know it. And the more I'm changed by it, by becoming more and more like Jesus, being blessed and well off in all aspects of my life because I'm his and he is mine. So, in conclusion, salvation is about a new journey that does not wait until eternity. Rather, eternity has come to us. For when we know the Father and the Son that he sent, we have eternal life. Right? John 17, the only place in Scripture that I know that eternal life is defined. And this is eternal life, that they might know you Father, and that they would know me. Not merely a life of duration, but a life rooted in and sent from eternity. A life with an eternal quality. May we walk in that newness of life, enabled in our commitment by the very Spirit that God, by His grace, gave us through Jesus Christ. In some, may we believe God for His grace and receive the power to be who He made us to be. For faith is not a decision of the moment, but an abiding virtue, turning to God day to day for a transforming life. So, my prayer for you all is that you would have a rich life full of joy and power, abundant in supernatural results, with a constant and clear vision of never-ending life in God's world before you and the everlasting significance of everything you do day by day. A radiant life, and a radiant death. And now, Father, make us the kind of people that would make other people glad that you made the world and put us into it. Amen.